Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Good morning, Calvary. It is great to see you and great to be back. Our family's been out of town the last two weeks, but it is really good to be back. I want to thank Pastor John and his team and Pastor Keith for uh, just leading us so well the last couple of weeks. Wasn't that awesome? And uh, so thankful. Yeah, please. That's a good place to clap. Thankful. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 today. Galatians chapter 2. We'll get there in just a minute. I want to hit a couple of other things Real quick, if you do not have children or grandchildren down on our kids' wing, then there's a good chance that you might not be familiar with what's happening on that half of the building right now. We're in the midst of a pretty extensive renovation project that's allowing us to pick up more space for our children's ministry, middle school ministries, as well as prepare us for future growth. In order for us to even begin to think about possibly a larger auditorium in the future, we have to begin with that space down there. What we're picking up is six new early childhood classrooms, which are critically important for us right now. We're getting a middle school space for our junior high kids, as well as a new children's auditorium that'll be used alongside the one that we already have, um, that we're going to be able to do more effective kind of age-appropriate elementary school ministry with that. The other thing that that gives us, we got to do demo in all these spaces. So imagine this room, because our kids' auditorium is a room just like this one, but completely empty with all the, all the risers out, the seats out. It's just this big, massive, open space, and that'll be our new kids' auditorium, as well as it's going to give to us a space that we don't have. We really don't have any large meeting spaces for groups over 100, and so it's going to let us do that kids' space on Sundays and Wednesdays and some, some usages other than that. And so it's really exciting to see this, and as we were planning all this, we said, Wouldn't it be awesome, since there's so much construction on the roads outside, maybe we could bring some construction to our hallway inside. Wasn't that a great idea? It's it's a mess. If you've been down there, you'll note that we've lost about half of our hallway space because they're doing that demo, knocking walls out. So they've had to build kind of a protective barrier wall. So what that means is that that space has shrunk quite a bit. So especially those of you parents, grandparents, those of you that'll be dropping off and picking up kids, thanks for your patience. Thanks for bearing with us, at least during this portion of uh, the, the construction process. As you walk down that hall, it'll especially probably in between these next services, it'll be congested at times. Will you just smile? Because it'll make people happy, and if they're already mad, it'll make them matter. Isn't that awesome? So just smile at people, because that's how good things happen, right? Think about this. Anytime there's a birthing process, now, like, I don't, I don't know that firsthand, but I mean, you know what I mean. There's pain, right? And with that pain comes something new. And so as we go through this season, that's, that's really important. Even to the point that why this is so important, Friday night at our new people party, I met a family, and what I was told was that every day, the little girl wakes up and asks, is it Sunday? That's a good thing, isn't it? And so thanks for your patience, your investment in this. Second thing, just a little bit of business to to touch on. Our family was out of town for the last two weeks. We spent the first part of the the trip on on vacation. And then the the last week that we were gone, we were in Anaheim, California for the General Council of the Assemblies of God. Pastor Bill and I were there. Calvary is a a part of a group of churches, fellowship called the Assemblies of God. Uh, I think about 18,000 churches in the United States, millions of people worldwide. And uh, every two years... All the pastors and leaders come together, and there's a, there's a meeting for spiritual renewal. It's, it's to do business. So we were a part of that. Really, uh, was, a, was a powerful time. I'd even say for me personally, a great time of spiritual renewal. And then part of the business this year was to elect a general superintendent 
If, if, if you're not familiar kind of with that term, that would be the person who is the leader of our fellowship. We don't use the title Pope, but you get the idea, right? Kind of general superintendent. Well, we elected a new general superintendent at this last general council. You might not know that you're familiar with him, but you are. If you remember back in June, we had a, we had a guest speaker named Doug Clay. Do you remember him? Doug Clay was elected the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God for... Many of us, yeah, it's awesome. For many of us, that's not just a guest speaker. That was our pastor, because Pastor Clay was the pastor here from uh, 1997 to 2004. He's my pastor, and uh, I'm excited for our fellowship of churches that I know that our leader is a man of godly character and integrity and vision and passion. And um, here's what you can imagine, though. That's not an easy job. I mean, it comes with the burden of leading those thousands of churches, literally millions of people. It comes in a season of transition for our fellowship, as well as many changes in our culture that you can imagine it will be not easy for a leader to lead through. Do you get where I'm going here? You know what's interesting? He, entered, he and I were talking, and a couple of times people came up, and a couple of times he introduced me to them as his pastor, which was kind of cool. So you know what that means? That means you're his church. And I think it'd be good for him to know that his church is praying for him, right? So I want to ask you to do this. Like, in your kind of maybe even regular prayer routine, would you begin to pray for our pastor and our friend Doug Clay as he leads in this way? For some of you, he's, he's your pastor. I think it would be awesome when you're out and about, just grab a card that says, I'm thinking of you, praying for you, kind of manly looking if you don't mind, and then just... Just write a note on there, especially if he's your pastor at one point, and send that. You, you can get the, the address for the Assemblies of God just on the website, ag.org. Wouldn't it be cool if he was flooded with physical reminders that there's a church in Toledo praying for him? I think it'd be awesome. So if you would do that, I, I, would, I would sure appreciate that. And why don't we pray for him right now? Is that okay? So Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you that you've allowed us to be a part of a, of a healthy fellowship of churches that is making a kingdom difference worldwide. And Lord, you and your sovereignty have chosen our friend, our pastor, Doug Clay, to be the leader of this fellowship. God, would you be with he and Gail? Lord, would you give them strength? Would you give them provision? Would you give them stamina? Would you bless their family, their kids, their grandkids? God, would you give to Pastor Clay divine wisdom and discernment, knowledge, what can only come from the Holy Spirit? And God, would you lead him as he leads us in the days ahead? Father, we look forward to the best days of our movement as you lead us in the time to come. Father, as we come to your word today, we pray that you would open our hearts. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love my home. I love this church. But if you're like me, you know that sometimes you just love to get away, right? So it was good to be gone, except mommy kept following me. I opened up the news the first week we were gone, and I read about norovirus. Did anybody hear about that? Did anybody have any donuts? Did you have them here? Yeah, sorry. Um, for years, Mama C's has been the provider that we've used at our cafe for years and years and years. They are awesome people. And uh, it, was, it was really kind of tough and sad to read about that. What I loved hearing, though, was how many people from this church were kind and gracious and supportive to them in a really difficult time. And I gotta tell you, as the pastor, man, I was proud of that, that, that we, were, we were able to show grace in difficult times. And then the second week, 
I read about the, the story in Charlottesville, the tragedy. And as you read that, there were two cities that kept being mentioned. One was Charlottesville. The other was Maumee. Did you see that? And it brought this ugly part of our nation front and center and to the doorstep of Northwest Ohio. This ugly sin of racism. We were going to be in Acts chapter 3 today, and we were going to talk about Peter and John healing the lame man at the temple gate, and we'll get there next week. We'll jump back into our series on the book of Acts, and I actually think there's some real truths that we'll look at there that I'm stoked to communicate to you about. But what's in front of us today, in the headlines, in the news, everywhere we look, is, is this thought of racism. And so as I prayed about today and as I thought about today, it seemed right to me, and, and I feel led by the Holy Spirit, that today... We're going to take a pause from the book of Acts and talk about this subject of racism, which actually is really important to the book of Acts because when you get to the book of Acts, you will see this subject of God bringing the gospel to every person of every nation over and over and over again as we turn the pages of the book of Acts. So I want to start with a story today, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Here's a story from scripture that'll help us to understand why this is so important to talk about. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, when Cephas, let's stop there for just a moment. Cephas is another name for the apostle Peter. Do you remember the apostle Peter, book of Acts? Acts chapter 2, preach the sermon. Cephas was, was is Aramaic, was another name for him. So when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul says, this is the apostle Paul writing, I opposed him to his face. That's bold language. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, let me help you out, when it says came from James, it means that they came to the city of Antioch from the city of Jerusalem, from the headquarters church. So these are, these are some kind of leadership people from headquarters. Before they showed up, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group or the Jewish leaders or the people from Jerusalem. And the other Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So the Apostle Paul's writing these strong words here, and he's saying, he's saying, look, he's calling Peter out because before the Jewish guys showed up, Peter had been eaten with the Gentiles. When we get to Acts chapter 10, it'll give you a little more background in this, but Peter's just hanging out. He's eating with the Gentiles. There's dietary laws. There's these different things, but, but he's doing great. He's hanging out with them until the Jewish guys show up. And then when they show up, he starts acting different. He starts treating people differently. And Paul says, look, this is wrong. This is hypocrisy. Now, there's many layers to this story, both culturally, theologically. We don't have the time to get into it today. But Paul calls out Peter because this is a big deal. And understand this, at the very heart of this, at the simplest point of this story, this story is about race. It's about Jew and Gentile. And Paul is calling out Peter because of Peter's response to a tense racial situation. And he knew that if it was not addressed, it could affect the testimony of the church, it could split the unity of the church, and it could affect the souls of individuals. So look at what Paul says, Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, and then for the next few verses, Paul begins to spell out, Peter, this is what's wrong and hypocritical about what you've done. There's a powerful line in that verse. They were not acting in line with the truth 
of the gospel. When you allow someone's race to affect the way that you interact with them, you have betrayed and denied the truths of the gospel. So Paul had to call it out. Understand this, when a matter of race becomes a matter of hypocrisy, it is to be called out. And that's what Paul does in this setting. And there are times when the follower of Christ must speak the truth. And that's what I feel compelled to do here today. If, if you've attended Calvary for at, at least three weeks, because that was the last time I was up here, um, you know that typically when I speak, I, I like to tell stories and crack jokes and kind of keep us laughing a little bit while we're being touched by God's word. But today's not going to be a whole lot of that. And I'm anxious to get to Acts chapter 3 because I've just felt for weeks and weeks and weeks that when we get there, there's some things that God wants to do in people's lives. I've been excited for that. But today, I'm confident and I'm excited that this is where God wants us to be. And so we're going to talk about this subject of racism. And let me say this right at the outset. I know this is a sensitive subject. It's filled with a lot of political correctness. And there's a really good chance that in the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to offend somebody. If anything I say strikes you as insensitive or offensive, I apologize in advance. That's, that's not my intention. I have, like many of us, lived a fairly simple life in the bubble of my culture. And there's going to be perspectives that I'm going to miss in the next few moments. Those of another race, those of another age, those of another experience, please hear the heart of what we're trying to communicate today as we look at God's word, and I communicate it with, with my flawed voice. But the bottom line in Peter's rebuke to Paul is this. We must live in line with the truths of the gospel. How many of you know we live in, in crazy times, right? Have you seen this? We live in some crazy times. And so what we're going to do today is look at eight, eight things. We're going to run through this real quick. Gospel truths for crazy times. And for some of you, as soon as I mentioned the subject of racism, you went, oh man, that's all I've seen in the news. That's all I've heard about. It's all over social media. It's the last thing I want to hear in church today. Can I challenge you? Don't check out these next few moments because I think what God's word has to say about this is more important than what cable news or Facebook has to say. And so here's where we're going to start. Eight things. We're going to run through them real quick. Number one, gospel truths for crazy times. Number one, Christ alone has supremacy. Number one, Christ alone has supremacy. Have you heard this word supremacy this week? <laughs> After a week where we've heard white supremacy so many times, I think it would be good to bring supremacy back to its true definition. Colossians chapter one, verse 15. The son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Do you know who is supreme? It's not any person. It's not any race. Only Christ is supreme. He's the only one that deserves that title. He's the only one who has earned it. He is the only one who has created it. And it's important for us to mention this. As the church of Jesus Christ, we denounce any movement that claims to elevate one race or people over another people or race. And you, you can call it by all kinds of names. You can call it alt-right, KKK, Nazi, white supremacy. It's all wrong and it's all evil, 
and know this, Christ is supreme and he's not behind those things. Galatians chapter six, verse three. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. That's a good word, isn't it? I probably need to read that more often than I do. Bruce Ashford, whose writings have been really helpful to me in in preparation for this, has written this. He says, the alt-right movement is neither Christian nor conservative, but it claims to be conservative and often claims to be Christian. It's good for us to know that it's not, and there's confusion about the origins of this hate and this racism. I've read it just in this last week. I've read some pieces where, where there were people that were using scripture to justify racism. And I read it where people were using scripture, critics of Christianity, to claim that all of this bigotry and hate is somehow coming from the Bible. I want you to know this. God is not the author of racism. Instead, that leads us to the second thing. Number two, number one, Christ is supreme. Number two, hate is demonic. Number two, hate is demonic. When I use this word hate, I don't don't mean where it says that God hates evil. What I mean is when there's hate between people. And that word demonic is really strong. But it's also really accurate because the devil is the author of hate. Let me give you one scriptural idea that'll help us with this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. John writes, and, and if you're not familiar with this, 1 John is a letter that John the Apostle, one of Jesus' disciples, he wrote this. And the very theme, the heart of this book is love. And he writes this. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Did you notice this? Right from the beginning, Cain is attached to the evil one. Where did his hate come from? It came from the devil. We have to define this and identify it. The source of hate is demonic. It doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. Now, this, this, is, this is significant, right? Have you ever had this experience like where you walk into... You walk into your house, maybe you've been gone, you've been outside, you walk into your house, or you open your car door, you sit down in your car, and all of a sudden you go, something stinks in here. You ever had that happen? Well, you kind of sit down in your car and you're like, there's something nasty in here. What is that? And you dig around and you find, you know, there's something nasty under your, under your, uh, under your seat, or you, you go in the house and you're like, oh, there's something weird. You open the refrigerator, oh, what is that? You're going to take the garbage out, whatever it is. And you have to identify it before you deal with it. The longer you're around it, the less you notice it. But when you get a breath of fresh air, you go, hey, this is, this is gnarly. I got to do something about this. And you deal with it. In order to deal with it, you have to identify it. Hate comes from the devil. Let's call it what it is. Let's identify it. And it needs to be dealt with or your life will start to stink. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. That's, that's the background for why we do love the 419, right? Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That doesn't need much commentary, does it? It's pretty easy to understand. And hate comes in so many different forms. Right now, we we see it, and largely, it's emphasized in in the division between white and black, but it happens with people of all kinds of different races, whether you're talking Asian or Latino, Middle Eastern. There's the, the classic conflict in Scripture of Jew and Gentile. Do you remember the conflict in Northern Ireland? 
That was a religious one. It was Catholic and Protestant. But the hate, I've been there, the hate runs deep. Call it what it is. It's the work of the devil. So let's make this right in our context. White supremacy is evil and demonic. And it's good for us to make that clear. And so you and I have to ask the question, am I affected by this? Do I have some racist thoughts or tendencies? And in just a few moments, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us look at our hearts. Here's why. Because white supremacy is evil and demonic, and so is subtle superiority. You might say, well, look, I'm, I'm not a white supremacist. That's, that's not who I am. No, you might not be. But if you have this sense of subtle superiority, where you go through life, and maybe it's not even an issue of race, but you look at other people and you think you are better than them. Does that come from God? And we've made the source pretty clear, right? If you look at a person and say, I'm better than them, based on race or status or age or looks or smarts or money or authority, the list could go on and on. If you're feeling superiority, then that's not from God. Here's why. Number three, third thing. Every person is made in the image of God. No matter who they are, number three, every person is made in the image of God. There's this phrase that we use in in theology. It's called imago dei. It's a Latin phrase that means in the image of God. Imago dei. You might hear that at some point somewhere. In the image of God. It means that every person is made in God's image. We're made to resemble him. If not physically, then definitely spiritually. The substance that we're made of comes directly from him. And we are created by him with deliberate care and value. No matter who you are, what your background, what your race, what your disability, you are created by God with deliberate care and value. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. No matter who you are, you have great value because you come from God. Think of the things that that people collect or have great value. Many times it's not just because of the quality of the thing, but because of who it's attached to, who made it, who owned it, who used it. Who, who was there? If, if you have a, a, somebody's rookie baseball card and it's in great condition and they were a star player, it's worth something. Have them autograph it and it's worth a lot more, isn't it? Why? Because it was connected back to that person and that gives it great value. You were created by God and every person you see was created by God. And because of that connection, it gives them great value value. That's why it's so important for us to see this. Hate is more than just an issue of race. Racism isn't the only place that we see this. This is important when you interact with someone, whether it's based on their personality or their disability or their history. This is what's so wrong about bullying. Anytime when we feel support, you know what I mean, superior to, or we minimize the value of someone else, that flies right in the face of who God is. Because number three, every person was created by God in his image. And number four, here's the fourth thing. Jesus died for every person. Number four, Jesus died for every person. Listen to how Paul helps us to see this. Ephesians chapter two, verse 14. Speaking of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, speaking of Jew and Gentile, which was the the major division in biblical times, 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In our minds, we picture that wall as something figurative. To the Jewish readers at that time, they saw it as something literal. See, on the temple mount, around the temple, there was this wall, this dividing wall that made a point that you could come up there, but if you were a Gentile, you couldn't go past that wall. Just the Jewish people could go past that wall. So if you wanted to get closer to the presence of God, only the Jewish people could do it. The Gentiles couldn't. They found a a fragment of that wall from the Temple Mount. And when, when our group was in Jerusalem back in January, we went to this place called the Israel Museum, and when we were there, it was on display. I think we've got a picture that we can show you, and you can see this was, this was part of, this, um, this, was part of this, this stone that was there that people could see, and there's a Greek inscription on it. The inscription fascinates me. You'll see the picture here. Let me read this to you. Here's what it said. No foreigner shall enter within the forecourt and the balustrade around the sanctuary. Watch this part. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. Was that clear? You cross this line and you die, you only have yourself to blame. I'm printing that out in English and putting it on the package of Oreos in my pantry. (laughs) Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. It's intense. That wall that literally was a matter of life and death that said, Gentiles, stay out. You know who got rid of it? Jesus did through his death on the cross. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Not race, not status, not gender, just Jesus. So get this. To say that one person is superior to another is to insult the work that Jesus did on the cross. If you say that one person is superior than the other, you literally have insulted the work that Jesus did on the cross. Which leads us to number five. You ready for this one? Jesus created everyone in his image. He died for everyone. Number five, racists probably won't like heaven. I know it's a little comical, but listen to this. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. Heaven is a place for all people. And if you've got an issue with all people, it may take you a while to get used to heaven. And I know I'm being a little facetious here, but I want to make a point about the heart of God. God's heart is for all people. In heaven, we'll see all people. And I think that is a part of what he intends to be the beauty of the church, that the church would look like heaven, that it is a multicultural church with people of all places and a place for all people. And that's a powerful thing. It is an important thing. That's the beauty of the church. And, and I, want you to, I want you to get this because there can be these times where there's this subtle racism in our hearts and we don't realize it. Please don't be offended by this, but I've known people who are more comfortable ministering to Africans than they are to African-Americans. They're more concerned about people on the continent of Africa than they're concerned about people on our continent who happen to be of African descent. 
And that subtle racism can come in, and that's a problem because that doesn't look like the kingdom of God. So what do we do? Number six, we walk in the way of love. Number six, we walk in the way of love. Here's what Jesus said. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What do you think he wants us to do? It's pretty clear there, isn't it? Love one another. Paul helps us get real practical in this because we can say, well, what does that love look like? Ephesians chapter four, look at what he says. And especially as I read this, think about it in the context of the tension in our culture. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Some of us need to write down Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 through chapter five, verse two, and go back and read that because when we think about how can I walk in love, there's some very practical things for us. Where does it begin? Galatians chapter six, verse two, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, When they are not, remember that verse we read a few minutes ago? If you think you are something when you are not, they deceive themselves. Paul says, look, if you're gonna love other people, it has to start with caring for other people. Love begins with respect. That's where it starts. If you're gonna love someone, then you have to begin by respecting that person, by honoring that person. We'll see this in a moment. If you wanna influence someone, you have to begin with honoring them Love begins with respect. I talked with, with quite a few people this week because I was, I was curious, how do, we, how do we communicate on this subject? And so I talked to a lot of different people, races, backgrounds, experience, um, geographical backgrounds, and just said, help me to understand this issue a little bit better. And one of the things that I saw, and I wouldn't call this the disease, but it's certainly a symptom is that why there's so much tension right now, and tell me if you agree with this, it has largely to do with the proliferation of information due to social media. Have you noticed this? I think, I think that has helped to kind of raise the temperature and make this such a, a gnarly issue at times. So can I do this for just a couple of minutes? I'm not a hater of social media. I think it's a great tool. I think it can help us in so many ways. But can I give a few cautions? One is this. One of the dangers of social media is that it reinforces my stereotypes. Because I'm mostly connected online with people who are like me. And so as a result of that, what I hear most of the time is just reinforcing the things that I already think instead of expanding my horizons to see other things that might be true or might be out there. Does that make sense? So I need to be careful that the information I'm bringing in, whether it be through the news, through what I read, especially through social media, does not just reinforce my social Uh, my my stereotypes, and here's why. When social media makes me antisocial, it's time to log off. When social media makes me antisocial, it's time for me to log off. Here's, Here's a real practical thing. If you're in a room full of people and the only thing you can look at at your phone 
then maybe you should log off. Can I get an amen? amen? And if when you read this, if when you look at this stuff, you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, if you're on there and as you're on there, it makes you like people less, if you become less social by being social, that might be an issue. If as you're looking at that stuff, you begin to think that Christ is not supreme, if hate's being stirred up in you, if you forget that people were made in the image of God and Jesus died for them, if your life starts looking less like heaven and it's hard for you to walk in love, those are times when I probably should shut it down. And for some of us, it's really good to be reminded that social media gives us this platform where in a place of privacy, we can speak publicly. You know, from the privacy of my own home or from the, the simplicity of my phone, I can say things, I can post things, I can make a statement. And all those statements probably don't need to be made sometimes. I'm not just talking about race, politics, weather, preference. We don't want to hear you whine, right? You know what I mean? And it has this weird power that what I say privately becomes out there publicly. Understand this. I think sometimes we forget this, that online boldness has offline consequences. My online boldness in that moment has offline consequences because it affects other people. It affects their hearts. It affects their souls. And it might be good for you to remember that your online boldness affects your reputation and what people think about you. So my advice for some of us, my advice is that some of us should stop liking posts and start loving people. I'm not saying that it's bad, but if all you ever do to show love is, is press a thumbs up on Facebook, there might be something more that you can do. It might be time for you to not just do that. Stop liking posts, start loving people, and here's the reason why. Number seven, injustice must be identified. Number seven, injustice must be identified. This is, a, this is a really weird thing for a pastor to say, but can I read to you one of my least favorite verses in the Bible? James chapter four, verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Do you see why that's not my favorite? <laughs> There's no way out. Look, if you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, then that's sin, which means we can't ignore this topic of racism. And if you don't mind me saying this, it means we can't just dismiss it either. I think a lot of times we wanna just dismiss it or act like it doesn't affect us or act like we really don't care. Or sometimes, and this, this isn't just an issue of race. I think we do this a lot with people whose stories are different than ours. We see someone whose story is different and we say to ourselves, well, if they would just work hard or if they would just be responsible or if they would just do this or if they would just do that, then these things wouldn't happen. And let's just be honest. When you say that, that's insensitive and it's often inaccurate because sometimes there's injustice. And that injustice has to be identified. If you do not identify a problem, you cannot fix it. And that's why it's important that we talk about this subject, why we speak about this, because it's real in our culture. And for many of us, it might be real in our hearts. Where does it begin? Let me give you a phrase that I think is really important. It's important to recognize the reality of life 
for another person. Think about this for a moment. It's important to recognize the reality of life for another person. What's their life like? What's their experience been like? One of the, one of the privileges I had this last week was to share a meal with a friend of mine who's an African-American pastor. I said, hey man, can you, can you help me? I know the Spirit wants me to talk about this, but you have a totally different perspective than I do. What's important for us to know on this subject? And he said, it's important to recognize the reality of life for another person. Because if you think that somebody else's life has been just like yours, you're sadly mistaken, right? You need to know what their experience has been like. It starts here. If you seek to influence, you must first honor. If you want to influence somebody, or if you want to have a relationship with somebody, you have to begin by honoring that person. That's true in every area of life. And I feel like that's really important for us to talk about today. Let me, let me just talk about this. And I know you have these conversations that can be a little uncomfortable, but let's just, let's just talk about this. Calvary has historically been a predominantly white church. And I'm thankful that God has allowed us to experience more diversity in recent days. It helps us to look a little bit more like heaven. I think it makes us a healthier and a stronger church. But for many of us, that means that there, there are things about other people's experience that we're just not familiar with. Whether that's the black lifestyle, Asian, Latino, Middle Eastern, different ethnic backgrounds, possibly different social backgrounds, financial backgrounds, all these different things. And we've got to realize that unless we're willing to get outside of our bubble, our comfort zone, we're never gonna understand what life is like for someone else. Does that make sense? In fact, that's part of the reason why we have division in our nation is because people won't interact with each other. But let's back it up a little bit. Part of the reason why we have division in churches is because people won't hear each other's stories. Let's back it up a little bit. Part of why we have division in our homes is because we won't care enough to listen to somebody else's story. We won't get their perspective. And if you want to have influence, if you want to have relationship, if you want to have peace, you cannot have influence unless first you start with honor. Does that make sense? And for some of you, this is where you've already checked out on me. Because you've already made up your mind on, on on the causes of racism and the sources of these things. And I just want to encourage you, be willing to see life from the perspective of another person. Don't deny another person's reality just because it's not your own. Because oftentimes we can dismiss someone else and their experiences and their frustrations and their life because it doesn't line up with ours. Do not dismiss another person's reality just because it's not your own. I remember, man, this 20 years ago, um, we, we just had one child. Clayton was just a little guy. I remember he was in a car seat. I was already at the church. It was like an event on a Saturday. We were on staff at a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was already at the church, and Rhonda and Clayton were, were coming to the church. The church was right on a corner, and they had to make a left turn to turn onto the road where the church was, and as Rhonda made that left turn, a guy came, came busting through the intersection. She had the right of way. He busted through the intersection and, and crashed into her. Fortunately, everybody was okay, but by the time it was all said and done, he crashed into her. She crashed into another car that was waiting, which then crashed into another car. So there were like four cars involved in this accident. So afterwards, our insurance company was just aggressive to find out what happened. They wanted to know what the story was. And you know what was interesting? Out of those four cars, there were six different stories, <laughs> right? Because everybody that was involved had a different perspective. Were they wrong? No, it was just their perspective. It's how they saw things. And at some point, you have to get together and sort all that out and try to figure that out. And for me to go to someone who was injured in that accident and say to them, I, I don't think you're hurt. That's their perspective, not mine. I can't tell them whether they're hurt or not, right? That's not my place. 
Their perspective is different. And we do this all the time with other people. And we try to force our reality on another person. And that just might not be the case. Like, I know this gets really complicated. But where there's injustice, we need to call it out. I, I remember when, when my boys played basketball, whether it was, you know, when they were playing just kind of a little kid league in the wire, whether when they played, you know, in, in junior high and high school for the school, I'd go there and I'd watch. And every so often I'd realize that referee doesn't like my son. <laughs> right? And if, it, if we were the away team, you're like, there's a home job going on right here. Those refs are biased against us. That was, it would outrage me. It would make me tense. There was an injustice being done. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of people who have injustice done. And until we're willing to recognize that and identify that, that there's been decisions that have been made, that things that are done, that there are systems that keep people from moving forward, until we recognize that, then we can't move forward. Are there people who are responding inappropriately? Absolutely. On every side of these things, within the races, within the media, within our government, we could take time to call them out. You know what I think would be more productive? What's your role? You're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And if we will do that, it will make a world of difference. Why don't we do it? Because it's easier to avoid what makes us uncomfortable, but it does no good. It's easier for us to avoid what's uncomfortable, but it does no good. So I'm sitting there having dinner with my, my friend, the black pastor, and as we're talking about this subject, he, he looks at me and he says, have you seen this movie? And he mentions this particular movie. And if, if you're aware, over the last few years, there have been some really good movies that have been made that, that highlight some of these injustices and in, in the stories of, of issues of race and in our history. And he looks at me and he says, have you seen this movie? Well, the truth is, Ron and I, we don't, we don't watch a whole lot of movies. It's not because we're like super holy or we pray all the time. I mean, I mean we do. We do do those things. Like, we do those things. But, but, because uh, we're pastors. But, but we just, I don't know, we just don't take time to, I don't know, it's just not a, a major part of our lives. So he's like, have you seen this movie? I'm like, nah, I haven't seen this movie. He's like, what? He's like, you, you got it. You're not going to understand this until you see this movie. He goes, what about this movie? And I'm like, nah, I haven't seen it. He's like, you haven't seen this. He's like, look, you've got to see these movies. And I thought to myself, why haven't I seen these movies? And then I thought about it. I've had opportunity to. Like whether you're standing at the little machine getting a DVD or I, I've, I've flown internationally a few times in the last year where, you know, the little screens and you can pick a movie. And I clearly remember times when both movies that he talked about were a choice I could make. And I said to myself, you know, I really should watch that. But in this moment... I'd rather watch something funny. I'd rather watch something that was pleasant for me instead of dealing with an issue that isn't. And it was more comfortable for me to ignore those things than to deal with those things. It'd been far more comfortable for us to talk about the healing that takes place in Acts chapter three today. But this, I believe the Holy Spirit said in this time and this moment was more important. It's easier to avoid what makes us uncomfortable but it does no good. And we can avoid this issue, but if we ignore it, we only fuel it when instead we've been called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If you're not familiar with the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor who was martyred in Nazi Germany for his faith. I'd encourage you to study his life, and he said this, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless, 
Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So what do we do? Number eight, last thing. I want to challenge you to search your heart. If there's going to be change, then at some point it has to begin with me. Very fitting passage of scripture, Psalm 19, verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. There's a good chance as we've talked about this, the Holy Spirit has maybe highlighted something in your life that you didn't even realize was a, was a way of thinking or way of acting. You'd say, that's a hidden fault. I, I didn't even realize that. And God's calling you to, to deal with that. Verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What do we do with our hearts? I'm gonna give you just four things super quick. Let your heart repent. If, you, if you're in a place where this is speaking to your heart, it's time to call out the sin of racism in your life. Whether it's something in your past, whether it's something in your present, whether it's something that goes back generations for you, if that's there, call it out. And then let your heart forgive. For some of us, we, we can't live in the past anymore. Maybe you've been discriminated against. Maybe you've had disappointments. I don't know, but this is huge. At some point, you have to let your heart forgive. And then let your heart hope. Too many times we see people who are different from us and we immediately put them in a stereotype. What if instead of giving our preconceived ideas, we offered the hope that's available in Jesus Christ? And then let your heart love that you'll hear the things we talked about today and that you'll walk in the way of love. Why? Because love's a verb. And verbs mean action. And so, Father, we come to you today. God, thanks for your word. It speaks to us. It challenges us. And, Lord, for some of us, it leaves us in a place where we need to repent. God, maybe we ask that you'd, you'd cleanse us of our hidden faults. For some of us, it's willful sins. But God, on, on this ugly issue that is such a, a tense challenge in our country right now, Father, for the role that any of us may have played, as your church, we repent. Lord, and whatever it is, whether it's an issue of race or disappointment or past hurt, God, if there's places where we need to forgive, Lord, would we trade out that hate for your forgiveness and grace? Father, may we be people who offer hope, not stereotypical ideas or, or putting people in categories. May we be people who take the hope of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And may we do it as we love. May we love the 419, but may we love our neighbors. May we love our coworkers. May we love our family. May we love those in our community that we're able to reach out to and make a difference for as your spirit leads us and prompts us to. God, may you take these truths from your word, stir them in our hearts, and help us to be more like you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. As we go from here, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? In Jesus' name, amen.